2: Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the extra show where we talk about all of the big topics that have happened this week in bites. All of them in bitesize. Yeah,
3: <laughs> there were more than one. <laughs>
2: uh, I'm Connor Pope. I'm here with Alison McGovern. Alison, in a minute, we're going to hear from, uh, you've spoken to Phil Wilson, the MP for Sedgefield, about some issues around, of course, Brexit.
3: Earlier this week, yeah, we sat down for a bit of a chat.
2: But but that did happen, that chat happened before Wednesday's no confidence vote in Theresa May. So it did. We should probably start on that. I think.
3: Yeah, it did. So actually, I think the really interesting bit of the chat with Phil that people can listen to in a bit is the things he says about the Northeast and where he's coming from in you know, that view that the Northeast is like the Leaver's Land, mm. you know, and that the fact that actually uh, not just Phil, but also other members of Parliament like Bridget Phillipson, Catherine McKinnell, Anna Turley, Paul Williams, a whole group of members of Parliament from the Northeast still think we'd be better off in the European Union. And he talks a little bit about why. But yeah, Phil and I were basically kind of like a little bit in bewilderment as to what on earth was going on with the Conservative Party. And now we know, basically. <laughs> So it turns out the ERG can count to 117.
2: <laughs> Just about. I mean, the, it's, I, I genuinely, it was one of those nights where I had the news on at home and was properly gripped by it. It was kind of fascinating because genuinely, I, I, f- I feel like I've worked covering Labour Party politics for so long, and actually, fundamentally, I don't really understand the Conservative Party yes. or Conservative yeah. MPs and what drives them, and and how they will react to events in a way that actually, by and large, I feel I can do with Labour MPs. So I I probably and it's a very
3: know. different beast. Yeah, um, you know, the Parliamentary Conservative Party is the absolute beating heart of the Tory Party in a way that because of the existence of the wider Labour movement. You know, mm. we, we make policy across 6 million trade union members. You know, now what are we, like half a million Labour Party members basically mm. now. Um, constituency Labour parties are a real and active thing. Whereas, you know, a lot of local conservative associations, yeah, I mean, they exist and and they're there, but it's not the same. The Tory party is... So much of it is actually the Conservative Party in Westminster. That is mm-hmm. that is how they function. And that I think
2: I thought that really came across actually in what uh, how the how the news covered it because what they tried to do was go into uh, different parts of the country and speak to you know a- activists, Tories on the ground about what they thought should happen on Wednesday night. And they were in Maidenhead, uh, Theresa May's constituency, and they weren't with. Tory activists, it seems. They were just at a bowls club in Maidenhead. And they interviewed this guy called Roger. And it was fantastic. And they said, Roger, you know, do you think that Theresa May should carry on as prime minister? And he said, and he genuinely said this, well, she's always been a good friend of Maidenhead Bowls Club. So (laughs) I hope that she stays on. (laughs) Which I thought was a a brilliant... (laughs) (laughs) A little snippet of actually how this country really works
3: yeah exactly exactly so that is my impression of uh, local conservative associations in fact on Wednesday night as I was leaving Westminster when I left uh, when the vote had started but before they had counted it um, and I watched the result come in uh, at uh, the flat um, in London and I was in Westminster tube station and I was like, and I had very loud music on uh, and I sort of sent somebody behind me and I turned round and it was Greg Hans like waving at me, former chief secretary to the treasury. And he just looked, you know, kind of bewildered. And I was like, Greg, what is going on? He said, (laughs) I honestly don't know. He said, but I'm off to speak to the Christmas drinks (laughs) of the cities of London and Westminster conservative (laughs) association. And I said to them, I said to Greg, and what are you going to say to them? And he said, I really don't know. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that you know, just just the kind of like that that would that would not happen, mm. you know, if all this was going on in the Labour Party. the the people outside Westminster, as we know, take a very active role mm-hmm. in the way that we make decisions in a way that is not true of the Tory Party.
2: It was uh, the the European Research Group there expectation management I find phenomenally bad. The idea that it, it feels for months we've been told that the 48 letters are either about to be in or basically they're already in and it'll be announced at any second. And it's taken ages for this to come along. And uh, And I think a really interesting element of this is the role of Jacob Rees-Mogg as chair of the ERG because he is, you see him on telly all of the time as this influential Tory backbencher and, you know, the voice of the Tory backbenchers, but he put his letter of no confidence in very publicly a month ago, 28 days passed between him standing up and saying, I have put my letter of no confidence in, calling a media squirm outside of Westminster and doing a big song and dance about it. And
3: what was really, really funny, I'd say, I say funny, what was really kind of horrendous about that was like Steve Baker, like bobbing around. Well, Like, because... Because really, Steve Baker thinks he's like the big dog in all of yeah, this, yeah, right? Yeah. Whereas actually Jacob Rees-Mogg is the, peop- is the person people have actually heard of. And like the little competition between the two of them is really funny.
2: So there was a brilliant piece of colour in uh, one of the papers on Thursday morning that described they had a meeting of the ERG where a month ago where Jacob Rees-Mogg said, and I'm going down to speak to the media now and say that I've put in my letter of no confidence in Theresa May, you know, so i i would suggest that you know as many people here do that uh, as well and then just as they were leaving steve Baker went actually it would be really great if we got a big crowd of us down in front of the media for this uh, for this moment i think that would look really powerful who would be up for doing that and three people put their hands him <laughs> and he went Ah, maybe just leave, leave it, it then. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew Bridget, you stay here.
3: <laughs> yeah, God, they're so. It, I mean, it's it is awful. I'd I'd love to say that that sort of thing, that sort of you know, uh, ego madness, wasn't kind of there in all bits of politics, but obviously it is. But it's like, it is kind of funny, but it is also like deeply horrendous mm. that. When in a week where parliament should have been voting on the deal and then we should be on to plan B now we should have voted down the deal and we should be saying right what's the plan B you know is it as labour policy says time for the public to have their say either through a general election or um, with the public vote on the deal or you know what is it what is plan B. Whereas actually, what we've w- witnessed over the past twenty four hours is instead of actually c- sculpting a plan for the country to get us out of this mess, we've watched like an internal Tory horror show, mm. basically. And whilst I kind of feel angry with Tory governments and always will for what they've done, you know, I, I think the prime minister would be fair to say that. All of that last night was something of a distraction, mm. really. I but, say last night, Wednesday night.
2: <laughs> but um, Parliament's got another week before you break up for Christmas. So presumably there's, there is time within that to start sorting some of this out. So what what will happen in Parliament next week? What What are the big issues that MPs will be debating?
3: Well, we had the business statement on Thursday morning. Mm-hmm. And it is quite intriguing. Um, I've got a copy of it here. So, so this
2: is Commons business rather than the Department of Business?
3: That's right. Yeah. Designed to confuse. <laughs> this is the business of the House of Commons, cool. not the uh, business department. So um, as we might expect on Monday, the prime minister is going to make a statement. So mm. that could be anything or it could be like nothing has changed. Yeah, yeah. More of that. And then um, there are various things down for next week. Some things that are be quite important, like the second reading of the mental capacity amendment bill Mm that started off in the house of Lords now coming to us debate on disability benefit and all of that uh, important issue. There's some slightly curious uh, uh, motion to approve the draft guidance on age verification amendments, 2018. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but I'm sure by next week we'll all be an expert, which makes me think that, Actually, some of this stuff might be like filler, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that we're kind of just really waiting for the Prime Minister to come back from Europe, have meetings in Europe, and that maybe we might still go to the vote next week. I don't know. Because they, they can change the business overnight.
2: The age verification thing sounds a bit like, you know, when, you, when you're online and then something pops up and it says, are you 18 years old? And you click yes. Maybe another box will just pop up and go, really? And then you can just... <laughs> Almost Are like you a, sure? Almost like a second referendum for, uh, for age verification. Almost like a public say. Almost as, as though we we treat that more seriously than we do leaving the European oh, Union. <laughs> exactly,
3: exactly. exactly. Like the be- I think the best, most repeated joke of all of the Tory stuff was people going, aha, so the Conservative Party in 2016 decided to vote for Theresa May to be their leader. And now they've decided to have another vote. A couple of years later. What lesson ought to be drawn from this? So, But fundamentally,
2: there's nothing, th- th- there's nothing relating to Brexit still to be discussed before Christmas. Not, as far ac- as we're not
3: according to the business of the House of Commons that's been announced this morning, but I slightly suspect that all of that could change if they felt that the situation had changed uh, within the Conservative Party. But there has been a little bit of a rumbling that basically what they want to do is send people home you know, away from the kind of hot house of Westminster, mm-hmm. to sort of cool off and spend a bit of time with the public, who think we've gone absolutely mad. <laughs> I mean, you know, who must be watching this, I'm pretty horrified.
2: Well, the good news about uh, the kind of light week in Parliament means that we'll have chance to record a couple of podcasts for over Christmas and New Year. Wow, so get we'll, excited! Um, so we'll be doing that, but uh, we should probably leave this here because you've got that interview with Phil Wilson
3: So I'm Alison McGovern, uh, Chair of Progress, here with my very good colleague, Phil Wilson, MP, Member of Parliament for Sedgefield. Phil, hello. Hello. And you and I have been working very closely together on matters to do with Brexit. And we've had the absolute turbulence of the past couple of days in the Tory party. Like, what is going on?
1: Well, I don't think anybody knows anymore. I've stopped making predictions. Yeah. Because as soon as you've made one prediction, it's just proved to be wrong. But if I can make one prediction, I think she'll probably survive this vote of no confidence by her benches. So we're
3: we're recording this on uh, Wednesday afternoon. We've just had Prime Minister's questions. By the time this goes out, we will know whether the Prime Minister has survived that vote. But as we're sat here now, Phil, it does look like she probably will survive it. What do you think's in the minds of the the ERG, the European Research I, I Group? Just, this I group think, of people.
1: I just think. The fanatics. I think these people just want to leave the EU. Just leave. Leave means leave. Yeah. Uh, and
3: no partnership. No partnership.
1: No deal. You know, and it doesn't matter about the consequences. And this, you've, I've always said about the the Tory party was that the one thing you could say about them was that they they had a practical approach to politics, but that's gone now, and has been gone for for a few years now, because they're just consumed by the EU. Yeah. It consumes, some of these people are just consumed by it, and all they think about is this. Now, I remember when I first got into Parliament in 2007, uh, after the, the by-election, and you would see William Cash, get up on the back benches, and everybody would groan, because we, you knew he was going to ask a question or make an intervention on the EU and on Europe, and we could be talking about housing, the NHS, anything, he would bring Europe into it. But now he's mainstream, and that's that's the, the significant difference I've seen over the last 10 or, 10 or 11 years. And I think somebody once said that Brexit eats its own children, and I think that's what's happening with the Tory party at the moment. Yeah, uh, Whoever they put up to, do, uh, to be Brexit secretary, they end up leaving because ultimately they haven't got a plan. Yeah. And I think it's just been in the past a way of making your name in the in the, the Tory party. But when it comes it's, down it's, to it, they don't know what to do.
3: It's that thing of it being a kind of ideological issue for them. Yeah. But because it's ideological, it's it's not related to practical, what, you know, we would think of as, you know, yeah. solutions in politics. Yeah. It's, it's about saying those kind of faith-based shibboleths. Yeah. In the Tory party. As you were saying, it's a way to make your name was to be big on the European it, to issue. To be
1: bigger. But now that they've had the referendum and the referendum went the way it did, they've now got to do it. They've now got to work out what it is. And actually, they don't know what to do. So they just want to leave. Just go. And everything will be okay. I mean, because if you're Jacob Rees-Morgan, you move, you can move your money to Dublin, then it is going to be yeah. okay. But for the rest of us, it uh, it isn't. And, you know, it's... I don't quite see what how we square this. You can't square this, the Brexit circle because you, you just kind of do it. And, uh, um, y- you know, if they want to try and reinvent the wheel, I think they'll find that it's not going to be as around as the original. Yeah,
3: that's right. Because basically either you're trying to get back a close partnership, yeah. so you're leaving the closest partnership that there is yeah. to try and recreate that close partnership, but from outside the EU. Or you say you want economic benefit you want uh, this bright new future away from the economic partnership where that just that's impossible because geography is geography being what it is you know a trade deal with Brazil is not going to mean the same as a trade deal with this massive block of countries that are right on our doorstep yeah
1: well it's just like with the northeast of England you know 60 percent plus of our trade is with the EU wow and one of the reasons for that is that the two ports, one on the Tyne and one on the Tees, the two big ports, and then obviously we the on the way in Sunderland face east. Yeah. You know, and it's Europe is just across the North Sea. Yeah. So the bulk of our trade is gonna be with the rest of the EU. And uh, so that's just a matter of geography. Yeah. You can't get away from that.
3: And tell us a bit more about the view from the Northeast, because I think for those people, who perhaps those who live and do their politics in London or um, people who, who are not regular visitors to the Northeast. We're sold this version of the Northeast uh, in the London based newspapers that's like it's the land of leavers. Every, everyone wants to leave, you know, forget the jobs they all wanted. Is that really true? Is that really, well, is that really mean, what it's like?
1: I think we should start from the position that 60% of people who voted in the referendum or thereabouts in the Northeast voted to leave. In my constituency, it's fifty nine percent, which and as the as the referendum was unfolding, I could tell the way it was going to go, in in uh, the northeast and obviously particularly in my constituency. But I have noticed a difference, and uh, the reason why I came out a few months ago now with uh, Cap McKinnell and uh, and Bridget Phillips and, and, and Anna Turley just to go for the people's vote is that I know what the consequences are, and I think sometimes you've just got to be, stand up and be counted. And this is the defining issue of our generation, and we've just got to get it right. When the referendum, referendum happened, you looked at it, and we, we, you would talk to your colleagues about how do we make this work, and the more, the more and more you looked at it, it's what people wanted, let's see if we can make it work. It just won't, it just can't. And uh, so I just, well, these have, I think there's about half a dozen of us now in the northeast East uh, who MPs who are up for the people's vote because we know what the consequences will be. And you, know, and, you I,
3: and I tried, didn't we, with Bridget and others to to argue for a kind of EA yeah.
1: um,
3: position where single market customs union, right. and, and I we got a lot of support within the Labour Party and within the Labour movement, but... The one challenge to that, which is a legitimate challenge, is the fact that, that would keep that might keep jobs in 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 Sedgefield and in Wirral South, but we would lose inevitably we'd lose influence.
1: Yeah. yeah. We would do. And the thing is, if whatever way you look at this, there's no good Brexit deal. That's right. And uh, and I didn't and I keep saying this and I'm gonna keep saying it, I didn't come into politics to make people poorer. I'm a labor politician. Yeah. You know? And the one, what we, what we've, what the Labour Party wants to do, and it is our, been our goal for the last 100-odd years, is to uh, alleviate, if not eradicate, poverty. So why do you want knowingly to go into a decision-making process where you, where you know people are going to be worse off? I just don't know, you can look yourself in the, the mirror and, and, and concede, well, you know, we'll People who voted leave, fine. I accept that and I respect that. And I've spoken some of the people, I know a lot of the people who voted leave. And, and do, what do
3: they what do they say to you? Well,
1: it's about it's immigration, of which there's very little in my patch. Uh Sitchfield is 97-98% white British. I've got 1.1% uh EU migration, 1.2% from immigration from the rest of the world. Wow. So that's it. And at yeah. one point in the Northeast, this is a, uh, a fact worth remembering. I mean, I had a problem with the British National Party in the constituency a few years ago. So I asked the, the House of Commons Library to look at what were the biggest ethnic minorities in the region. And the largest ethnic minority was the foreign-born children of British p- service personnel.
3: Wow. Wow. You
1: know, because if you're... If If, you, if your dad worked in Germany, was a soldier in Germany where we used to have a lot of troops based and you were born in Germany, then you weren't classified as British. You were classified as sort of being foreign born. So, so really it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just not, it's just not an issue, but emotionally it is. And I think it's when you've got, uh, communities like in Durham that, uh, the industries have gone and it's, I hear that phrase left behind. I think it's. Why do you hate it? I, I just, uh, I just don't like the idea of people being, being left behind because I don't think they, they are. I just think in some of these communities have a different outlook. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've grown up there as well. When you've got, I know I've come across people who might live, young kids who might live, 10 or 12 miles from Durham city, one of the most beautiful cities in yeah. the world. Yeah. And they've never been there. Yeah. And it's, and if you read, uh, uh JP Priestley's book, an English journey and mm-hmm. his and he's, and his description of the uh, fields back in the, the 1930s, which the very insular outlook. Yeah. Um, and so they'll feel, they, they haven't engaged with the world. They don't part of, they don't seem to be part of it. There's a kind of a disengagement there. So they don't experience it like people yeah. in 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 inner cities do, especially in London, which is very cosmopolitan, yeah. where you know there was a big vote to remain. So in these areas they mightn't feel it's not necessarily left behind, but sort of not engaged. Yeah. Uh, and but but if we go along with this, and I think it's starting to dawn on, on people now that it will. There will be a, co- a price in all of this and it's better to engage actually to solve problems yeah. than to pull up the drawbridge and walk away.
3: And that's what we are in the business of doing, trying to find a way through this and trying to find yeah. an answer to this problem. And that's why I think both, of, both you and I and, and others here conclude that we might not like it and it might not be, you know, it might not be the dream, but yeah. actually the only way out of this mess might be to yeah. give the decision back to the public.
1: I, th- I think, I, I believe that. And it's whatever they. if they come down and say, we still want to do this, Brexit, then then fine. And as they say in the North, champion. <laughs> if that's what they want to do, do it. My advice is don't do anything that's going to make you poorer. And the, the issues that are affecting them, like austerity, is not a decision taken by the EU. It's a British government. Exactly. It's, not, it's not coming out of Europe we've got to change. It's a change of government yeah. that we've got to, got to see happen. And um, so we've got to also, uh, if we do get the referendum and we're campaigning to Remain, we've got to give a pe- positive message of what Remain actually means.
3: Yeah, because it can't just mean the same austerity that people have been facing. Yeah. And uh, we have got to find that idea that makes people think, yeah, that's a Britain I could buy into. Um, Phil, we will leave it there. It has been a turbulent week in British politics. Um, But thank you for joining us, Phil Wilson, MP for Sedgefield. Thank
2: you. This week's pub quiz question asked, when was the last time someone was sent to the Tower of London for contempt of Parliament? The answer, of course, was Charles Bradlaugh in 1880. And another interesting fact about that is that if you look in the hand side of that parliamentary debate, you'll find that Jacob Rees-Mogg actually spoke during it. Congratulations, if you got that right, at home. We'll be back with another episode of Progressive Britain podcast on Tuesday, but we'll also have plenty more episodes going out over the Christmas and New Year period. So make sure to subscribe on... ACAS, Spotify, iTunes, wherever it is, you get your podcasts so that in that lull after Christmas day lunch, you can relax and listen to us talk about Brexit a little bit more. Thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crumpton.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.